0: Welcome to another episode of ace comicals um today it is myself greg i am joined by leon hey, hey. and we have our guest marv with us again today marv signed on again <laughs> uh, hi everyone another um epic uh discussion of an epic event from comics history so um you remember last time marv joined us was for um nightfall when we did something like this
1: oh yeah it was a
2: yeah. a roller coaster um <laughs> a blast from the past Especially night quest <laughs> 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 that was that was more um a house of horrors uh, than a roller coaster but well, you know yes. it's all part of the funfair experience
0: exactly yes so Today, we are here to discuss the 1985 DC Comics event that changed everything for comics going forward. Um, It shook the industry, um, completely rewrote the DC universe. Uh, Of course, we're talking about Crisis on Infinite Earths. So, uh, a bit of an introduction Crisis on Infinite Earths being the 1985. A 12 issue event that was designed to consolidate condense and reset the DC universe into something a little more palatable easier to understand and um with the the goal basically of being making it accessible for new fans new comics fans um which is something I find really interesting um for, for what we stand for here on Ace Comicals, the fact that we we try to make comics accessible for you. that's that's my kind of like leaping on point for crisis. That's why I vibe with it so much because it's like, yeah, I get where this is coming from. I get the ethos of and I get what this was trying to do, and I really like it. So yeah, it was it wasn't it, it was it was to make it accessible and to bring new fans in and to to kind of revitalize what was lacking basically at that point in time for DC um so yeah you you had this um this thing that had never been done before this large scale event crossover that was a company wide thing that encompassed the whole DC universe up to that point so 50 years of history 50 years of comics 50 years of stories um every single character that had been printed or published under the DC banner appeared in this in some way, shape, or form. And there was huge stakes. Like, you've got to remember, like, t- in today's world, in today's comics, we are used to the event cycle. We, s- we see an awful lot of it. We get, um, every few years, they do, they do like, a, a company-wide reset or, or rebrand or, or something uh, that usually has some kind of, like, epic-scale cosmic event preceding it that will change everything and reset everything back to square one um and it, we have what's now a lot of people a lot of us as comic fans will have what's now described as event fatigue where it's like oh what now when we see a poster or a house ad or something for something like this um, but back when crisis was published back when crisis first hit the stands there had been nothing like this before this was something that was completely new And would have had like a meteoric impact on people that were reading comics at the time. Um, And yeah, that's, that's just, that's where we're coming from with this, basically. So, I mean, um, yeah, when we, when we talk about the significance of it, and we talk about how huge and important this was for comics, like, it's something that you... It is what launched the event. It is the event that launched a thousand events. Like without crisis, you wouldn't have had things like the infinity gauntlet. You wouldn't mm-hmm. have had, um, civil war, civil war. Yeah. You probably wouldn't have had nightfall. Um, although I think that probably owes more to death of Superman that does the crisis, but, even Death
2: of Superman before Nightfall would yeah. owe a lot to it in terms of um, taking, like the enti- I guess, the entire super family um, and shaking them up and then feeling the reverberations through the DC universe of a world without Superman. You wouldn't yeah. have been able to get away with p- pitching that without um, Crisis happening.
0: Yeah, without Crisis happening, without Crisis being as successful as it was. And like, I mean, it's not like they had never been crossovers before. The whole point was that. Uh, the way DC published books was very similar to how Marvel were doing it, where they had this interconnected universe, and the characters used to pop up in each other's stories. Events used to happen and cross over into other comics and things like that. Whereas, you know, like something would happen in one book, and it might be referenced in another book, like in a different story, but it wouldn't be um, a a mini series event that had its own twelve issues kind of thing not like what crisis did you would get a a crossover between various members of the the justice league or whatever but it would last like two issues you know Mm. um and i guess we have to start at the beginning don't we with with (laughs) what was there before crisis on infinite earths Took place and why crisis had to take place, which is I kind kind of what the point of this, because I wanted to give you guys some context and just kind of explain this to you. So, before there was crisis, um, there was this uh, the, the the DC multiverse, which was like the the the, the pre-crisis DC universe, which was this basically it's this massive multiverse of characters. Uh, ranging right from the beginnings in 1935, the golden age, um, all the way up to um, the the point in time that crisis takes place, which is like um, it was originally, well, the idea for it was conceived in 1981, but it didn't end up getting published until 1985 because that was going to be the 50th anniversary. So you had 50 years of continuity, um, but it was a continuity that was disjointed, convoluted. Um, it, it, we're talking because what happened at DC is it over this time is it was a company that had absorbed IPs from other defunct companies as well as having its own um, writers and creators creating characters and building worlds and stories and taking liberties with that and building, you know, making taking liberties with the the fact that there was a multiverse and and things taking place on on what they could say were other worlds to keep it in continuity um and that's how kind of the the the, the DC multiverse was born in that respect because they were they were absorbing these other IPs from these other companies, and they're like, well, how do we bring this into our existing continuity? It's like, well, we'll give them, we'll say it's on another, another Earth. We'll say it's in another part, in a, part of the multiverse, or something like that. And that's kind of where this was born from. So I'm talking about, of course, Captain Marvel and Fawcett and um, the um, the Charlton Comics characters, mm-hmm. um, the Question, Blue Beetle, that kind of stuff. Um and it was just this it had this very fractured and disparate feeling um and there was you know other kind other versions of earth were created to solve timeline or continuity errors as well so as well as being created to house other characters they do it to fix things um and i can imagine it was very convoluted and very hard to keep track of for both people wanting to write for dc and also readers.
1: God,
2: I, I can't imagine what it would have been like to have been like um, some new writer coming in and being like, "Yeah, I want to do this Batman story." It's like, well, you are aware of what happened here and there, and what happened in Earth on Earth yeah. Two with the Crime Syndicate and this and that, and you're like, yeah. um, "Just give me a map and I'll, I'll
0: fill in the blo- <laughs> I'll fill in the dots." <laughs> yeah, and th- and I... that's where the that's where the problems came from, I guess.
3: Yeah, I've got a bit of an impromptu question, so apologies if yep. you don't have an answer yep. ready for it, but. Was it a known thing? I know these days that editors will have people in their teams who pretty much have like a Bible on what's like current continuity and such. In the 80s and beyond for DC and Marvel, was that really a consideration for like a continuity, like someone having hold of a continuity Bible? Or was it almost a case where people just shot from the hip and do you know what I don't
0: I don't fully know um I did actually try to seek out that information but um I couldn't really find anything that 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 gave me anything concrete either way
3: yeah because it feels like Uh, when we talk about like the retcon uh and with this comics event sort of being a hard retcon but before then we had what you could could say a soft retcons where it's just a case of Oh that thing that happened in issue 14 don't worry about it we changed it <laughs> like so part of me feels like maybe there was a very loose bible where you 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 there were core things like yeah superman comes from yeah. from krypton which exploded so you couldn't have an issue where it's like and and superman was was born on mars uh, unless it was some elseworld thing so yeah. i guess there was maybe some loose one whereas like, i feel yeah. these days you probably have a parliament or council of people whose job is yeah. just to enforce the continuity well, of, of each different world.
0: Well, pre-crisis, if they wanted Superman to come from Mars, they'll just say, on Earth-29, yeah, yeah. Superman's from Mars. <laughs> and the Elseworld stuff is all post-crisis because that's how they manage to keep things clean, by saying yeah. you've got the, the prime continuity and then anything else is Elseworlds. Hmm. Um. Because they they just done all that work cleaning it up,
1: yeah,
0: and they weren't. I don't think they wanted it to let. But, because, well, look at where we are now with Infinite Frontier, where they're saying everything's canon. <laughs> but like, it's it's one of those because it, it's one of those things where they they finally they did actually bring the multiverse back again, didn't they? As well with the the fifty the fifty two worlds and multiversity and everything else and. Mm um so eventually the multiverse did come back again and they did they did bring it back again but it's i think this time it's a little bit more cohesive
2: it's so strange as well because like i you know obviously we're all of the same generation give or take a few months slash years but like um i grew up reading comics in a in a period like just post-crisis like we we all sort of picked up our first issues in the fallout of crisis and stuff and started getting into batman and stuff and obviously like i got a bunch of comics from my dad from before like i got some 70s comics like you know i've got um somewhere knocking around in the attic um physical issues with covers all ripped off and stuff of the phoenix saga yada 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 but point being we were used to the fallout of an event like that. And so for me, everything from sort of like late eighties all the way through the nineties, it just felt like that's what comics are. So the point that I'm getting to is like when the new 52 happened and then like DC rebirth and everything that felt like properly shocking to me. I was like, they're rewriting characters, backstories and like they're, they're, they're wiping the slate clean and no one remembers what happened. And they've all known each other for five years. Like that, rush of emotion that i had not even like being yeah. deep into dc comics at that time but that must be what it must have been like if you just walked into a comic shop and you're like oh oh okay i guess all of the universes are are exploding fair enough 1985 yeah. is a, a year of madness <laughs>
0: yeah and you, you've got to think um at, at the point that crisis comes um dc has a few years on marvel like marvel the marvel universe as we know it and marvel characters as we know them they it didn't really happen till the Silver Age. Um, and the, the, the one, it, Marvel Orphan himself says in an interview the one thing that Marvel had over um, DC was the fact that a lot of the Marvel characters were created by a cohesive team, by one or two guys. And it all fits neatly together when when they were at the time they were doing it they they had this whole thing in mind whereas with DC it was like well we'll take that and we'll absorb that company and have those IPs and we'll put them over there on that earth and we've got all these golden age characters that we're going to keep going with but then we're going to have other versions of them that are more up to date so then you get new versions of Batman and Superman coming in that are like the 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 version the version of Batman and Superman that we know, but then you've got the Golden Age Superman and Batman, and you've got Golden Age Green Lantern, who's different to New Green Lantern, and it's like you, you've got all this this like disparate kind of like different levels of of storytelling and yeah. disparate levels of um, like I guess with because you you end up going because with the with the the golden age stuff is all is all more magic based than everything yeah, else. Yeah,
3: this is what I was gonna say. Like, I, yeah, I know it's a bit of a generalization, but like it's a common rule of thumb, isn't it? Where golden age is like magic and like uh, wizards and stuff bestowing powers onto people, uh, or magic stones, or or like gods crafting people out of of stuff, and then silver age is, is the nuclear era where suddenly everything's more science based
0: yeah yeah, this is what I was going to come on to now. so like um d c had a lot of character uh, d c had a um it's an older company it, it's longer running and it had it had more continuity, and it was still using golden age characters in an age where sci-fi origins and concept had been popularized with the beginning of the silver age um and and those characters had all but replaced the more magic leaning less scientific stuff of the golden age um and it's just like you had all of this happening at the same time. and it it was it was a case almost of too many cooks as well, yeah, yeah. and and that was where we were at. It was like this big, confusing, um, convoluted, hard to access thing that needed to be fixed And um, in Warcar creative team, which was um Marv Wolfman and George Perez. So I guess um, what I need to do is I need to explain, first of all, actually, a lot of the information that we're going to be using here comes from various interviews with um, Marv Wolfman and George Paris that I've been reading, watching. I've been living in crisis for a week. Uh, (laughs) It's all right, Greg, we can get you some help. (laughs) Yeah, so when I close my eyes, I see the flash melting. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, so uh, we've got the... um, so I used I've been, uh, the the main sources I'm using. I've got a uh, a Sci Fi Wire interview, uh, the behind the, the behind the panel podcast that Sci Fi Wire do, um, and we've also got the stuff. Uh, there's various interviews with Marv Wolfman and George Perez on Thirteenth um, Dimension, uh, which I kind of got a lot of my information from there. There's also some of the, the, um, the introductions and things to the uh, Crisis Collected Editions. Uh, for this cast, we have read the um, 35th anniversary edition of Crisis of Infinite Earth, which collects Crisis 1 to 12, and then um, History of the DC Universe at the end. They call it, in this collection, History of the DC Universe Special Number 1. But actually, and it's happening again, and I'm getting, I'm getting flashbacks to Nightfall, <laughs> it's it's history of the dc universe number one and number two it was originally two comics um and this just collects the whole lot together and gives it, 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 it as if it's one comic as if you are reading the trade because there was a trade of history of the dc universe as well hmm. um but yeah so it it basically collects it all and this is why i started getting like wait a second have i only got half of history of the dc universe here i thought i read the whole thing how come i only got half but apparently it is the whole thing <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I was just, but yeah, I, I need. I felt the need to point that out that where it says number one, it says H- history of the universe special number one, but it's not. It's it's actually two separate comics that's been fused into one and then grafted onto the end. Um... I think
3: that's very apt for this book.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so we'll we'll start with um, with Marv Wolfman who. This, this was basically his brainchild. So, Marv Wolfman, uh, a lifelong fan of comics. Um, he grew up in New York and uh, he went to school blocks from the DC building, basically. Uh, and he was a huge DC fan from being a kid. And he, refer- he says in these, his various interviews that when he grew up, uh, Marvel wasn't much of a thing. Um, it, it, you, you had DC comics, Marvel weren't. You know the the Spider Man books weren't around yet. The, the 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 Fantastic Four books weren't around yet. Things like that. It was it it was all DC. You would read Justice League and and you would read Batman and you would read Superman. Things like that. Um, and he was probably reading. Um, because I think from from what I gather, he was his for for the age that he is. Um, the guy. Would have been born like so. His his stuff is like cusp of the um, cusp of the the golden to silver age switch. So he gets like the tail end of the golden age and then coming into the silver age for stuff that he would have grown up with. Um, and he used to tour the DC offices regularly. And there's a really fun anecdote here that I really enjoy uh, that he tells in the Sci Fi Wire podcast. Um, where he um, he got offered the chance. Basically, what they used to do at the end of these tours, they used to give out the artwork um, because it was seen as disposable back then. No one was collecting comic art. No, there was no collector's market. And this, this is just absolutely, truly insane to me. Um, but... What happened was um, there was a bunch of artwork that would have been on its way to the incinerator or the dumpster or whatever at the DC offices. And uh, the guy who's wheeling the trolley over says to these kids, like, oh, you know, take what you want from here because we're just going to sling it all anyway. That's Um, insane. (laughs) Yeah. And they dig through it all and they take as much as they can and they go back to the lobby and they're trading amongst themselves. And that's the way he tells it. And he says that. He managed to compile an entire 12 page Simonson and Schuster, Superman, like original story. Uh, 12 pages that was never published because it was actually rewritten and published as a 10 page story. Um, that it was like a complete, um, oh, Siegel and Schuster, sorry, not Simonson, a complete 12 page 1945 Siegel and Schuster book. Um, it was never printed and he gave it back to DC on their 80th anniversary. <laughs> but how wild's that that you just get to like you you know that that was that was just happening you know like how wild were was it no, back the... then like the wild west of comics fandom you
2: know <laughs> it makes me think um is my 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 analog for that would be like um the games industry because you hear story yeah. after story whenever there's like oh a hd remake announced of a game or whatever every yeah. interview is like oh we basically had to remake the game from the ground up because like back when yeah. final fantasy 7 or you know silent hill one was made nobody thought to keep the, the 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 master files it was like oh the game's released we've made the money delete everything and start yeah. the next yeah. project <laughs>
3: the
0: source code get it all out of here yeah mad absolutely mad um but like this is obviously way before the direct market it's way before there was you know big time fan collectors or be, and before comics had reached their seat on pop culture mount olympus you know hmm. so this was like at the beginning and this is this is where he grew up so he grew up with this dc universe he's a lifelong comics fan he he grew up and he he read DC comics and he was a big fan of DC comics and he as a 7 year old kid um he used to have a uh, a a character um that he invented called the librarian and he used to um create these stories where the you know the golden age uh characters and some of the silver age characters like the, the justice league and um the Golden Age Justice Society would come together um, to take on the librarian. Um, and he was always like, wow, wouldn't it be cool if we if, you know, these crossover events existed? And he was thinking like because he was watching um, a lot of TV as a kid as well. So he was like, "What, well, you know, like a limited TV series or something. I think he talks about The Prisoner. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and uh, this is like his kind of like, this is the the germ of the idea for Crisis. Um, so fast forward to um, him getting work at DC and being a writer at DC on the New Teen Titans books. Uh, and this is where he meets George Perez, who is an exceptional artist and is very, very good at drawing group shots and like complicated scenes. As you've seen when you've read Crisis, these big sweeping double page spreads that have like everyone in. Right. And he's, he's good at that. He's good at nailing that. That's like his jam. And he really enjoys doing it too. Like his, uh, in an interview that I read with George Perez, one of the things that he was like, I get to draw everyone when they, when they finally signed him on for crisis. He's like, I, I get to draw everyone. Um, like that he was excited about having to sit there and meticulously draw everyone. And the, pounds and pounds of research that they all had to do to get the costume spot on and everything else like this is why i'm thinking leon actually back to your question about the continuity bible and everything else
1: mm.
0: when they talk about the sheer amount of research and everything they had to do to make sure that everything was spot on it makes me think that there wasn't one thing that would that would keep track of all that otherwise yeah yeah um it, i don't know if it would have been as painstaking for them the or as is, painstaking as they made out
3: like, you semi-answered it anyway. Like, if they're, yeah. like, burning comics, then there, there ain't no Bible. No one gives a damn at that time.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, at the back, in, back at the very beginning, before the direct market and before conventions and the, the fandom and everything else, um, comics art was disposable, man. Like, once they were done with it, that was it. It's like, we've printed it. The comics on the stands let's just get rid of all this like stray paper lying around the office, you know, hmm. what's this? A signed doodle by the guy that draws Superman. Oh, I'll just take my lighter to that. You know, <laughs> it's like, what are all these extra action comics? Number ones I've got lying around here. In it's like, come on, man. <laughs> but yeah, so, um, yeah, uh, he was working on the new teens Titans and that's where he got paired with George Perez who had done, Work previous to that at Marvel, that's where his career began. Um, and the 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 Dream Team was born. Basically, this is like the Dream Partnership, Perez and Wolfman, because they they gelled so well working on the New Teen Titans, and then um, that kind of finished, and they were basically the the. So what happens now is there's a, a the um. Wolfman's working on Green Lantern. And there's a letters column in the Green Lantern and this is like fast forwarding a bit now. Um they decided that what they were going to do is they were going to let the writers respond to the letters from the because it was it's fun to have the writers respond to the letters in the letters column on the comics and they were like okay yeah we'll we'll answer fan questions things like that. So this guy writes in and he's like oh you know the DC universe is so complicated and so confusing and what what can we you know is anyone ever going to do anything to fix that to make it accessible and then marv wolfman replies just you know he writes back to this guy he's like oh yeah you know we should fix that that's his reply it's something along those lines in the comic so after that he's heading out he goes to they go into a convention somewhere a bunch of them and he's heading out to catch the train down for the convention um and that's where the light bulb kind of just comes on in his head. And we end up zipping back to seven year old Marv Wolfman's librarian. And then he's like, I'm going to change it from librarian to monitor. And thus, Crisis is born. And from that point forward, um, he's talking about it the whole train journey down with other creators. And they're discussing it and everything else. And then he pitches it and it gets accepted. Um, and then the work begins basically, because uh, originally they were go- it, This was in 81 when he pitched it, but then they decided they were going to hold it until 85 and do it in 85. Um, and the whole time they were doing it and, and, and getting it ready to go, he was talking to George Perez about, because they didn't have an artist signed on for it yet. And they didn't originally want George Perez to do it, but he was keeping George appraised of what he was doing the whole time because he liked working with George Perez. And he was, like, kind of, like, incepting it into him, like, just ask if you can do it, man. Just ask if you can do it. And then George Perris is, like, eventually they, they asked him to do Crisis. And he's, like, really? I can do Crisis? And like, yeah. He's, like, I get to draw everyone. Yeah, cool. So <laughs> that's where Crisis came from. And that's why we have this beautiful, beautiful book that's right in front of us now. So, um, yeah, it, they did it they seeded the idea for it they had the monitor appear in early issue earlier issues of other comics and things like that to kind of like seed the idea um and it was like in that way it's the architecture of the event was born because they seed it all and then all of a sudden it comes to a confluence in this 12 issue mini event this mini series and then after that everything is forever changed and in my mind it was the first and possibly one of the like the, the it has the biggest lasting repercussions and i mean like i don't know specifically if anything after that has had repercussions that have lasted as long as what has lasted from crisis i don't think it has i think i think crisis had the the longest uh lasting repercussions and the longest lasting um effect on the landscape going forward in the dc universe i don't know if you two have anything to say about that
2: no i would definitely echo that like yeah there's there's so much like even outside of comics there's so much so many conversations so much media and stuff that i've come across where crisis is either referenced or alluded to or you know uh back to because like I, I you know read bits of crisis um, back in the day i don't remember ever sort of sitting down and reading all 12 issues you know from start to finish yeah but um like my my sort of experience my main experience with it is in references so like Mm. stupid stuff like you know you watch all these like death battle type videos and it's like oh goku versus superman you know who would win and like half the comments are like oh you know is it pre-crisis superman or post-crisis superman because that makes a huge difference and like you see all these stories that come out you know years afterwards and you know everyone's scared of superboy prime and it's like the whole reason is because he's got pre-crisis power levels so it's like all these stories and all these conversations that happen in, you know, different fandoms and everything, they sort of all revolve around this huge nexus that is 1985's Crisis.
0: Yeah, because pre-Crisis Superman um, was... Was a tough, god. <laughs> as, yeah, as tough as he needed to be at that point in time to defeat whatever he had to defeat. Uh, I'll always remember
2: just... there was, um was it him, yeah. him, Wonder Woman and someone else, they just attached a huge chain to the solar system and just flew all of the planets out of the way of something that was going to hit them all or something. It's madness like
0: that. <laughs> Hijinks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it was, it's basically just the fact that he does whatever he has to do to beat the bad guy in, in the current story that he's in. And he's as powerful as the writer wants to make him. Yeah. He's the ultimate. <laughs> um, That was the point. Like, but it it's just so... Um, Incredible how, I mean, like, what was your first brush with Crisis, Leon? Where did you first sort of like come across this?
3: I think similar to Marv, I had osmosis it and seen bits and pieces. And then I truly read all 12 issues in one of my renaissances, getting back into comics. So it it was probably during the aughts sometime when I was uh, late teens, early 20s.
0: Yeah, so I think for me, it was my 20s um when I first fully read it. But my first brush with Crisis, like Marv says, like my my history with Crisis was like it was just something that like before I actually fully read it, it was just something that like you knew. Like when you were reading other the, it's something you knew from Osmosis from reading other comics and, and from yeah. talking to other comics fans. You just knew how important Crisis was to comics. And also it, it had was this... like
3: a, a foundational text for everything that came afterwards. So yeah the the image of Superman holding dead Supergirl is just burnt into my brain
2: yeah It's a, an image so strong that they they like <laughs> erased the hair, painted on um, a couple a couple of um, bat ears and just did it for a death in the family with, um, with
0: Bruce and Jason Todd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> almost yeah <laughs> And it's just it's that yeah, it, it just it has that impact, that slam, that gut punch um that comics is missing now
1: Hmm.
0: um because you just know that in 12 months time she'll be up and walking about again (laughs) 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 but i don't know if that's me as a jaded comics fan or if that's just the industry i don't know it's probably it's one of those like is it nature or nurture things is is it me or is it the industry or is it both (laughs) you know but we'll see i mean i i don't know i'd love i'd love someone to to kind of like walk me through that like like a therapist but comics based and just kind of like (laughs) well actually the reason you feel like that and i'm like lying on a couch you know but like um yeah so like i knew what it was i knew how important it was to comics i knew from conversations and various pieces written about the dcu people talked about pre pre and post crisis dcu like they talk about bc and ad (laughs) like they (laughs) they talk about christ's birth in the bible you know (laughs) like you know there was all there was the old testament then jesus was born then there was the New Testament, like there was the Old Testament. Then Crisis happened. Then there was the DC New Testament. That's that's, <laughs> that's what it is, right? Yeah. That's how people used to talk about it. That's that's how people talk about it now. That's that's how much of an impact Crisis had on the DC universe, like a religious impact.
1: Hmm.
0: Like, um, and like I'd first read Crisis a time ago because it was. So high profile and involved the entire DCU in some capacity, and it would, but it was almost something you could know about without even having to read. Like you just understood, and you understood what happened. Like you knew the events of Crisis of Infinite Earths without having to read Crisis of Infinite Earths. If you want to, yeah. Like it, it's just one of those things where, like, it, there are. There's no. Oh, this is a spoiler free thing about Crisis of Infinite Earths because spoiler. <laughs> The DC universe, as you know it today, didn't exist without that happening. Hmm. So it's like, you know, it's one of those things. Like the, the the ending of it is an inevitable point in time because you knew it was going to happen. You know what's going to happen. You know where it's going. And I think maybe even as a fan at the time, you would have an idea of what was going to happen and what they were doing. Hmm. Um, I don't know how. I mean, what would you. So, Marv, I'll put this to you as the guest today go back in time, um, be Marv in the 1980s.
1: Hmm.
0: You were never Marv Maybe in the not. 1980s, but be <laughs> Marv, in, well, you were, but you were, not but be, be, be a, a, a Marv that was, that could have had opinions about comics in the 1980s. Uh,
2: I'll, I'll be, I'll be, um, a brain in his late thirties trapped in the body of a one year old.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so,
0: yeah. So yeah, be, be, be a Marv in the eighties. And, uh, and just try to, like, I mean, like, if you cast your mind back then, and, and if you think about what you've read when you've read Crisis in prep for this cast, like, what do you think, how do you think it would have hit you? Like, do you think, do you think do it would have had the impact I'm telling you it would have had, or?
2: Oh, definitely. Like, yeah. I, I think, um again, like, um, using my uh, my reference point of, um like, stuff that I've gone through more recently with just having the impact of like the new 52 and rebirth and stuff being kind of rewritten and sort of the shock of having things, uh, not even retconned because retcon is, um, I think that's too gentle a term things upheaved in that way um, to have it happen and to have it happen the first time without, as you say, event fatigue being a known, a known, a known, uh, a known thing. It would have been crazy. Cause like, as you say, there, there might've been fans who could have seen it coming. And there might have been people who had, like, been, I don't know, maybe two years into reading comics properly and been like, you know what, I don't know who half these characters are. Like, people keep talking to me about Hawkman and, like, is he a god? Is he a crazy man? Does he have powers? Does he not? You know, is Wonder Woman made from clay? Did she come from Zeus? What's going on? So it could just be a thing where it was as much of a relief as it was a surprise because it just made things nice and simple. Yeah. Um, but the moment that the, the the time that it happened when those 12 issues were releasing over the course of that year it must have been a wild ride it must have been oh, yeah. insane like cuz again retroactively um that's probably not the right word i'll continue the sentence and uh, put whatever right word you want in there but um you know coming across so many stories um animated in comics blah 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 of like you know the crime syndicate you know ultraman and and, and Owlman, Owlman and everyone and seeing all these different versions of superman and batman and wonder woman across the dc multiverse and then seeing this story where they're all kind of being wiped out and merged and stuff like that like that hit me reading this story uh in preparation for the cast just having that um sort of outside knowledge of all these different universes of, of, of DC teams. Yeah. So to be a fan who was deep in it and knew about like, you know, the different flashes and the different, you know, versions of Superman that are out there and to see their universes being obliterated by antimatter insane. Absolutely
0: wild. Yeah. And like just the, the, yeah, it, the absolutely immense scale of it. And you, you bring up the, the crime syndicate. So, um, in the events of Crisis of Infinite Earth, like, just to put it um, into very simple terms, there was the DC multiverse and uh, there's this character called the Monitor. There is an evil version of him called the Anti-Monitor, who is going universe by universe and wiping it all out with antimatter. Um, and the antimatter cloud is spreading across and it's basically deleting everything. Uh, for want of a better way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> um and uh we have the monitor who is you know he's he's trying he's this is a he's trying to stop this he wants to he wants to prevent this from happening so he assembles a team of heroes and uh, thus begins the battle to save what they can of the universe Um and in the end the remaining earths are merged into one and um we have a lot of displaced heroes and how they deal with that Um and uh yeah it's basically just a wild ride whistle stop tour slash homage to what came before and the building and the setting up of the building blocks for what came after if you want a blow by blow breakdown of crisis of infinite earths that's not what you're going to get today listening to us um because there's like you can go to a hundred thousand different places and get that because it's such a high profile book um my recommendation read it it's fantastic um, but we're not here to do a blow by blow breakdown like we did with nightfall. We're here to just discuss its significance and and its impact and the things that we loved about it and the things that we might not have loved about it if there's anything we didn't love about it, and just where it took us and 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 you know how how we ultimately feel about the story and and what was what was so great about it, I guess. um And, yeah, I mean, you mentioned the uh, the crime syndicate, Marv. and I just wanted to say that. Um there's a reason they die in the first however many pages of the book. <laughs> um and uh according to uh an again interview with Marv Wolfman, um there's a um he says Alan Moore wrote him a fan letter about the fact that he did that. Yeah. And Alan Moore was the only person who cottoned on at the time, but like he did that so that he could show the, the power of the threat. Because these guys, if you think about it, they're basically the Justice League. They're Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, etc. Right? Yeah. And he's like, well, if I just kill them that quickly at the beginning, then like that hammers home how powerful the the Anti Monitor is. Because these guys are are the most the, the 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 most powerful heroes in the DC universe. Just evil. And if they can be spanked that quickly, <laughs> yeah, then you know what's going to happen for the rest of it. So it sets up the threat and it's a really cool device. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's a way to clean up the DC universe. <laughs> just to, just As a byproduct. With an antimatter cloud. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's kind of what it is. He's just getting rid of all the, all of what he deemed unnecessary, anything that created a paradox or a, a problem. And he's keeping the things that he could keep. And then uh, by the time we get to history of the DC universe one and two, Um, he sets it all on a nice clear timeline for us, Mm. um, with the ungodly talents of, uh, George Perez as well. Or should I say godly talents? Like not ungodly because they are incredibly godly, godly. Uh the (laughs) anti-godly talents of George Perez. Yeah. (laughs) I think what I'm trying to say is that he's like beyond God somewhere with like the way that he draws. Because some of these page layouts and everything that are in this book are incredible and the character work and the expression in the faces and everything else is just insane. I mean, that's what he's known for anyway. Mm. And he's known for these like these group shots and things. And it's just it's just absolutely incredible work. It really is. Um, And I'm going back through it now while I'm talking to you guys and I just cannot get over it. Get over how cool it looks even Mm. now today. It's just Um... insane.
1: Without
3: doing a blow-by-blow, blow, for people yeah. who just want to listen to us waffle, but mm-hmm. want to get some basic idea of what the hell this is, what is it, Greg?
0: What is Crisis Wait. on Infinite Earth? Yeah. It's what it says on the tin. <laughs> so, uh, DC have been known for using the word crisis in various crossovers and events before this anyway and they still use the word crisis dc loved the word crisis but um crisis on infinite earths was basically um like i explained it's the 12 issue story of the when we described the pre-crisis dc universe at the beginning of this episode and how everything was on separate earths and and we had different groups of characters on different earths and doing different things in different times and things like that. That made it very confusing for readers and writers alike, right? And what mm. Crisis on Infinite Earths is, is the story of how this character, the Monitor, who uh, started off as the librarian in the head of seven-year-old Marv Wolfman, um, brought the heroes of these various Earths together to fight for the survival of their universe, of their multiverse versus the antimatter universe, basically um and you had the polar opposite of the 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 monitor which was like the anti monitor who is like this antimatter being who is destroying and absorbing universe by universe to try and completely wipe out everything basically that's that's the that's what he wants to do because that's what he is he's antimatter he just absorbs and destroys um and these um the monitor brings together you know earth's mightiest heroes from all the different earths and they fight for the survival of their various earths and universes and some earths survive some earths don't Uh, some characters survive and some don't and then what is left at the end is consolidated and pressed into one single earth which is where we pick up the dc universe that's the post-crisis dc universe there is one earth and that is where everyone lives and that is where everyone fits in at different points. The, the timeline is is just, you know, it's clean, it's tidy, and um, it's easier for new re- readers to hop on, basically. And it's an epic battle for the survival of the DC universe, basically, is what Crisis of Infinite Earths is. But you already know going in that some live, some die. That's the way it goes. And um, it's a way, it, it, it's... it's um, it's, it's so epic in the way that it achieves that and does that in this like big operatic way across 12 issues. Uh, And we get um, things like the death of Supergirl, which uh, Leon and and Marv alluded to as well um, earlier where, because Supergirl dies fighting for um, the survival of the universe and it's really powerful moment when Supergirl dies it's the flash dies um it's just it's just an incredible battle for the survival of the universe and it's kind of like the proto infinity gauntlet in that way as well if you've ever read marvel's infinity gauntlet it's like that but not
3: and that's the thing like yeah there's a high chance we've got a lot of people who are more uh up to date with like the mcu and or like adaptations of marvel stuff and if any of this sounds familiar to you, if if the monitor reminds you of Uh Oatu, the Watcher, if, if uh, <laughs> the heroes being plucked from different things and forced together sounds like Secret Wars, if uh, all of this stuff like the different universes and yeah. like remind you of like the Ultimates uh, and stuff like that, this is where it came from, people. Well, this <laughs> is where it came from.
0: I think Secret Wars predates this.
3: Oh yeah, you're you're, you're right. I was thinking yeah. of like the new one.
0: Yeah the the old yeah the new secret wars for sure but the the old secret wars predates crisis um because that was basically a way to sell toys
3: yeah that was <laughs> the
0: only to, but but then like that didn't have the state crisis had like they had done crossovers before but nothing nothing as high impact or as big as crisis um and and you know that that existed purely to sell toys and it it did its job <laughs> and it didn't, you know, it didn't change anything because they just put everything back where they found it at the end, apart from the fact that Spider-Man had a black costume. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, as huge as this. This is something else entirely. This was in, this was groundbreaking because it reset the DC universe. Hmm.
1: Um,
0: and yeah, it's just, um, it's just absolutely incredible to think about the scale of it and to to read through it and to, to see that and to see some of these, like these awesome moments with all of these characters from across DC history. And, uh, you know, like seeing golden age, Superman go to work next to, you know, side by side with, with the current Superman at the time. And then mm. seeing, um, how all of it interconnects and the, the, the time travel stuff that happens with the flash, because that's all really cool stuff. Like yeah. there's some really cool moments in this and uh, some really cool art in this where the Flash um, kind of travels through time by doing something later on in the book to defeat the anti He Basically he's trying to destroy the anti-monitor's anti-matter cannon thing uh, which, would, which he would fire to destroy what's left of the positive universe um and uh in doing so he ends up flashing back through time but earlier on in the 12 issues we're just getting the flash popping up at random moments and melting um one of my favorite moments in the book actually is with batman and uh, the joker um it's like how things happen in gotham you know batman comes crashing through a window joker's mid-murder um and then uh, all of a sudden, the Flash appears through some weird portal, and uh, the Joker's spooked by it. He's like, "Tell him, tell him he belongs in Central City. Tell him he's not out. Tell him he's out of his jurisdiction." <laughs> and then uh, you know he just melts away and vanishes. And um, Batman's like, "The Flash is in trouble. We need to do something." And that's like Batman's first clue to the fact that something's up. That's where Batman's introduced. Um, but like. Previous to that, you've got, like, time displacement stuff with mammoths appearing in the, with the, um, in the far future and things like that. And it's just, it's an absolutely wild ride. Hmm. And it must have been so much fun to work on. Um, do you guys have any favourite moments from Crisis?
1: I've got, like, um... a handful of, like,
3: notable moments which always, uh, which, like, stood out to me. And a lot of them are like the RIPs because, like, <laughs> the uh, the Supergirl one is obviously top because that's such a like cool self sacrifice scene, yeah. And especially having like the way I, like, how like I guess Superman Prime reacts, it, it's so iconic, just you you feel the anguish and. It 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 leads to a great moment directly afterwards, where immediately Superman is in revenge mode. You know the the classic red eyes. I'm gonna I'm gonna beat the crap out of somebody, and then Golden Age Superman has to be like, uh, who's a bit more sage and wise, and has his uh, grey wings on the side of his head. <laughs> uh, and He's he got that, to... Reed Richards, yeah. that Reed Richards, yeah, Reed Richards <laughs> look going. And yeah, he, he has to be like, hey man, think this through, like. If you if you act recklessly, you're gonna mess up the whole plan. We need to be smart about this. And Superman's like, mm. Yeah, you're right. You 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 you've got a clear head about this. Uh, yeah. Okay, I won't I won't botch everything. Uh, but like it, with that, I uh, there's just bits all over because I was making notes. I was going through of just like things that like stood out to me. So like when you mentioned earlier about the prisoner, which is something that I had um, read about before. Yeah. Uh, it's funny in this that like Batman's a film buff suddenly. And he's like yeah. quoting, like uh he makes that like sequel to the prisoner joke to, to the <laughs> Joker. Yeah. And, and Joker's like name checking uh with Warner Brothers, DeMille and, and Mayer. And like, it made me think that like, what the hell does like? It makes me wonder, like, does like current Batman, does like Pattinson Batman, have a letterboxed account or something? Like, you <laughs> see up on IMDb or like Deadline checking like casting announcements. Like, when does he have time to watch movies?
0: It's, it's, uh, it's, there's pop culture references like across comics throughout, like even in the modern comics, like they do like weird film buffy stuff like that. Yeah, it's,
3: yeah, but yeah. that one felt very funny.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was it yeah. was
2: uh, much much more standard because even later on, there's like some um, huge phenomena in the sky, and one of the characters is like it's like Ghostbusters, but like way more gnarly, and you're like, yeah, that's yeah. a comic book movie reference, but like Batman specifically, like making uh, movie jokes is like, whoa, this is a I've not seen this before. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah, um, and there's the, I, I uh... there's just like odd scenarios like the. <laughs> The Joker like sprays Batman in the face with the sticky fluid. I'm sorry, it's just it's just a funny yeah. Individual, uh, it's just funny visual and yeah. like you know when you see like funny stuff in the background that pops out to you like the guy with the belly dancers do it better t-shirt. I, I, I love <laughs> yeah. the idea of like artists just getting bored and thinking, okay, what more can I put on this? <laughs> uh, one like sort of normalish moment that I quite liked is the really small scene with like Batgirl and Supergirl together. Yeah, and where like they meet on the top of the building and they're they're like, uh, talking about what they can see and stuff and, and like that stuff. It was really cool because it's such a sort of small moment and it's yeah not super long before Supergirl dies. So I thought that was, uh, uh quite cool and yeah, I, I really loved the page where it's Pariah crying into like Oblivion kind of as mm. like each progressive like. Fr- Going diagonally through the page is different panels of Pariah like fading out as he's crying, and then the main other panels are stuff happening with the antimatter like yeah. blowing up everything. Like there's a lot of like really cool uh, dynamic visuals like that.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that and then... su- that Supergirl Batgirl interaction is really cool. That was one of my favorite moments. Yeah, because hmm. um, it's it's like super world's finest.
1: Yeah, you know? yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, and uh, I I uh, really really loved it and some of the page layouts there are incredible as well yeah
3: and it's a very comic book thing yeah in a sense that this is the stuff that i love with comics of having a connected universe where you have these two people who are like the semi protege semi like next gen of these heroes and but they're their own thing yeah it's it's cool to to see them like have a relationship in that way and uh yeah it's just stuff like that makes it it fun it reminds me of some of the magic because the thing is we've mentioned this before when reading other old uh, capes comics is that there there can be like a patience trying of like the style of the time where characters have to say what we've just seen happen in a panel (laughs) and that happens so often it can especially when you're Quote unquote binging as in like reading like a, a big trade altogether it can be a bit tiresome, where you're like yeah this is how comics were. this is like a stylistic flourish which was probably mandated from editors to keep uh, kids like keep kept up with what was going on um but like stuff like that is fine to sit through when you end up with really just amazing vistas or like incredible splash pages or yeah really fun and dynamic uh, panel layout uh, it, it it all makes that stuff worth it and it it's it's what helps some of these stories stay relevant and timeless mm. despite different aspects of them uh, aging yeah R- whether it be the stylistic choices of the writing or it just be like outdated cultural and social things which are, are now like mega cringe to slash offensive yeah. Uh, it it makes all of that an easier pill to to acknowledge and swallow when like the core aspects of the story and the visuals are are dynamic and as timeless um mm. as they are.
0: For sure, yeah. And and like just wanna point out that I will not hear otherwise from anyone. Don't at me, but this is the best Batgirl design. <laughs> <laughs> like that's 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 it that's that just wanted to point that out because it is the best back girl design the half half cowl cow or nothing man yeah you
3: got to
0: you got yeah. to have the cowl. yeah like <laughs> it's, that's it's...
2: It's funny because my i i i was worried because I thought you were gonna go with Supergirl because like I had forgotten exactly what Supergirl looked like in the the comic apart from yeah I was gonna say because like the cover where you've got Superman holding her limp body it's the the classic Supergirl that I always remember so seeing her rock up with that red headband like like she's Liu Kang in the first Mortal Kombat or something I'm like oh no oh oh no 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 someone needs to have a conversation <laughs> with her
0: yeah someone someone needs to to uh someone needs to, to send her a stylist
3: well it looks like she just come from like a, an 80s style like unitard workout
0: yeah you yeah get physical <laughs> the only thing like, missing is it. leg warmers man yeah yeah pretty much <laughs> yeah <laughs> like she's just come from an aerobics class. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm not a fan of that supergirl design at all. I I the, that's my favorite batgirl design though, hands down all over every day. Mm. Like that's it. Um and like I just wanted to like some of the the, the page layouts and some of the um especially when when we're on the monitor satellite like we we get some really incredible kind of like uses of perspective and scale. And uh, there's particular pages where we're looking at the Monitor's devices that he sets down in various parts, various Earths at various times, and sends people to defend. So one of the Monitor's plans for defending what's left of the positive universe is to, um, he has these devices that he's plonked down throughout time, he's hidden them in various... various times on various earths and he sends specific teams of superheroes to each time on in, in each earth basically to defend them because what he needs to do is he needs to activate them to merge the universes basically. Um, mm. and, and when he activates these uh, this is when the universes will merge and that is what will begin the merging of the universes because that's the only way he's going to be able to save it is to merge it into one. Um, is, is the idea of the story which is actually like when you think about it and you think about what the aim of Crisis was that's fucking on the nose man like, <laughs> like the aim of Crisis was to make the DC universe easier to understand and easier to navigate and by, you know and to bring everything together and that's exactly what the Monitor's doing the Monitor is like almost breaking the fourth wall in that way like, he's like the ultimate editor, basically, if you think about it. Like, the Monitor and the Anti-Monitor are just the embodiment of editing forces.
3: Well, I guess they're, yeah. they're, they answer the question I had before. They're the continuity holders.
0: They are now. <laughs> <laughs> and ha- after that, Harbinger, because she records the tapes, the Monitor tapes. Mm. So, like, I'd hate to see how many tapes there are. Like, how much DC continuity do you think you can fit onto an 8-track? It's
1: just...
0: I don't want to see that tape library. It gives me anxiety thinking about it. Yeah. um, And just hours and hours and hours of some dude waffling on in monotone about, and then the Green Lanterns came. (laughs) It's just like, no, please. Please stop. Yeah. Yeah. um. Yeah, we get some awesome uses of perspective. Like some of these page layouts are just completely like full on. Like there's nothing else like it anywhere. And some of the panel shapes and you'll never get anything like this ever again. Mm. Like this, just the, the style of it and the, the motion in there. And especially when, when universes are being destroyed and we've got panels where people are fading out. And it's like they've done, it's like small, thinner panels that just progressively everything fades. And it's just so impactful in that way because you're, you're watching it happen almost in real time. And it's just, it gives you the real, oh my gosh, kind of like thump in the stomach. Hmm. Um, and there's, there's points where, I mean, the, the uh, pariah, for example, like being made to watch this happen. And when we when we follow Pariah around and we're watching Pariah appear on different universes and things just be destroyed before him, um, And uh, we, um, we get to the point where Pariah saves Lady Quark. Um, and the universe is just completely being, it's just being completely obliterated. and he he wraps her in his cape and saves her by moving on to the next point in time where evil will appear. Hmm. And it's just, it's incredible. Um, and it, it you can feel the kind of like Kirby energy almost in some of it where like, obviously Jack Kirby revolutionized how comics looked and and, and where comics were going from with his dynamic style and everything else, he brought that to the game. Um, and you can feel that through some of the way that the panels are laid out, and some of the panels, the perspectives, and the the way that the the tech is is the, this this like sci-fi tech is drawn, and things like you can feel the Kirby influence through it as well. Um, yeah, definitely. and just these beautiful bold designs, and these double page layouts, man. Like some of these double page layouts, there's just, there's one double pager. Um, its pages 114, 115 in the uh, 35th anniversary edition. Um, and it's like you've got the monitor and then you've got uh, monitor one side explaining something and we've got stuff happening on various Earths and then we've got the chain down the middle of all the Earths like slowly coming together, being destroyed, merging. Um, and then you've got um, all the Earths being linked and then you've got on the other side Pariah and, it, and, and you've got the, the tower either side as well in the middle and these guys fighting to protect the towers while this process is happening. Hmm. It's just, it's incredible really is. And it's incredible to think about the amount of like, um, research and everything that would have had to go into this to get it like to, a to get it to this point where they could, they could do it and and do it so confidently Hmm. when you think about it on that level. Um, Oh, did you know they didn't originally want to kill the Flash as well? Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, Marv Wolfman didn't want to kill the Flash because it was the Silver Age Flash, the first of the Silver Age heroes. He's like, I don't want to kill the Flash. <laughs> I really don't want to kill the Flash, but he had to kill the Flash. They made him kill the Flash. Stuff
3: yeah. about hits slightly different, like way later when we know yeah. that there's just no limit. Yeah. <laughs> to like bringing people back and stuff. Because, yeah. like, back then, in 85, that would have been incredible. Like,
0: yeah.
3: you just like, what? You can't do that. Can't
0: mm-hmm. kill Barry Allen. <laughs> and then they bring in the new Flash. Hmm. Uh, ring in the new Flash at the end. Um, originally as well, because what happens at the end of this is when they've got the... Um, they've brought all the Earths together and they've managed to save what they can and they've got one Earth. Um, with basically every hero that's left um they didn't want them to remember what had happened Mm. the original plan was it was all going to come together that was going to be the end and no one was going to remember any of it they were just going to start fresh um but they wouldn't let them do that either they were like definitely it definitely hits
2: harder because um that scene where huntress is talking to nightwing about like you know, yeah. getting changed out of her costume. You like doing. That. She goes through the whole routine, and you go through it with her, getting changed, preserving her identity, going to her apartment building, trying to put a key in the door. It doesn't fit because it's a different lock. Someone opens the door. Someone's living in a house. Yeah. And it um it reminded me of um the end of spoiler when spoiler and spoiler meet at spoiler's grave. Yeah. And you have that <laughs> really poignant feeling of like, oh yeah, damn, like no one's gonna remember spoiler after spoiler happened.
1: Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it, like it, it, it makes the stakes, brings them back down from the supernatural back to the like human.
0: Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, 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 that human level of the, the displacement and the, the the. I think I think it was a good decision to have them remember some of it because like it's harrowing. Yeah, when you get to look at it through those characters' eyes, and and we're talking about uh, this is pre-crisis. Um, Huntress I should point out who is the daughter of Bruce Wayne. Hmm. in that continuity she's the daughter of bruce wayne um but like it's it's mad honestly like and and the the just the impact that that has on on a human level like imagine being completely displaced waking up from it and, and thinking you know like earth 2 superman waking up in his apartment and going to work and then realizing that, like, and they're like, he gets there and then everyone's like, who are you? Why are you in this office? <laughs> and Clark's like, oh, it's my, it's my, my uncle or whatever, you know? And, <laughs> oh, it's, yeah.
2: Yeah, it's got to be soul destroying.
0: Yeah, honestly. it's
2: it's already hard enough to live life at the moment and be not, you know, why am I here? And, you know, like yeah is it is it all worth anything imagine waking up and like no one remembers you like that's that's got to be like insurmountable
0: it's an issue of ice cream man actually isn't it yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's what that final bit of crisis is it's an issue of ice cream man i've said it especially the bit where superman wants to fly off superman earth 2 superman wants to fly off into the void because he thinks he's got nothing left and he's just like fuck it i'm done And he just tries to fly off into the void and they won't let him. And it's just so horrible and harrowing (laughs) watching the, like, because he kept his composure when Supergirl died Hmm. and he was, you know, he's such a stoic, like he is the, the first of the superheroes, the first of, of the, you know, action comics. Number one, this is, this is golden age Superman. Um, and he is the, the beginning, the genesis of, of what came, comes after. Like, Superman started superheroes, basically. Like, the superhero movement began with Superman. Before that, they were costumed adventurers. Um, and, like, you... To see, to see him, the, the bastion of, of all that is good and pure... And and you know the representation of supposedly all that is good and pure that the you know this the, this something something and someone that we look to in these stories as a a moral compass almost sometimes when we read Superman stories and and some a character that we look to as a an anchor hmm. for you know the good guys always win that kind of stuff lose it like that to see him have an existential crisis
1: that's just
0: wow yeah (laughs) the impact of that yeah it's an it's an issue of ice cream man (laughs) except at the end of if this was an issue of ice cream man they would have let it happen Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) he
0: would have just gone off into the void and then uh-huh. they would have zoomed out from the void and it would have been Rick's mouth or something.
2: I was gonna say they would have yeah. stopped they would have stopped um Golden Age Superman from flying into the void and then it would have panned back and they would have all just been inside of like this like snow globe that's been played with by Rick and it's like Yeah. yeah, yeah. None of it mattered anyway. You could let him fly and you can save him, nothing matters, everything's dead. <laughs> it's yeah, all exactly. bad music. Yep.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The bad music drawing Superman into the void. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Exactly that. Why aren't we writing comics, Moth? <laughs> 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 Why? No, but yeah, it's, it's just, it's, yeah. Um, and some of the set, like the, the, the way that this works and the way that they set things up earlier in the miniseries and the callbacks and the, you know, the they set things up and then they bring things forward and it all links together. It's all a cycle. It's cyclical and it, it's beautiful in that way. Um And, you know, different characters coming in and being it's, it's, you know what is the insane amount of characters that are in this? And it's not even that difficult to keep track of. Hmm. That's another point. Like yeah. their work, their work began early. <laughs>
3: Yeah, I think it's because they do spend time with a lot of these characters. Like when you got people like, yeah. uh, is it Constantine showing up? The, like, <laughs> and like, like the aforementioned Joker. Like it is funny because it is like, wow, they're like they've got the whole puzzle. They've got the whole chessboard. They've got yeah. all the toys. Yeah. and <laughs> they have just been allowed to do all of this. It is what like it. They don't just have like all the toys in box one. They've got all the limited edition toys that have come out, and they're, yeah, they're like are able to move around the action figures and do what they like with them. Yeah. so you just you do get incredible moments, which are kind of like a dime a dozen now in, in the age mm. that we live in of all the crossovers. But it's still cool to see like all these heroes flying together, all the flying superheroes just in a panel, just zooming yeah. together to, uh, to the fight. Like there's a lot of really nice things like that. Just seeing like. An older and younger Superman converse. That stuff is is beautiful. And uh, like you mentioned before, like you have that whole mirroring where it's like first it's like younger Superman over over the death of of Supergirl, and then it's older Superman knowing that all the people he loves no longer exist. Like how it swaps the side of like which one is out for the other one. Like there's yeah. lots of these big psychological and like emotional moments within this Cape story about resetting the universe and making things simpler. And yeah. I, I really love that. And just on, on a core conceptual basis, I really love the, the point of doing all this and leading into the history um, at the end, where it's like, I love the idea of simplifying all this because any yeah. anyone who's listened to the podcast for any amount of time Knows that I'm just not a fan of unwieldy decades-long <laughs> continuity. Edge yeah. know this person is the son of this person, who's the daughter of this person, and blah blah blah. An issue yeah. seventeen, uh, or when you're reading Detective Comics one thousand, and it's like, are you kidding me? No, <laughs> no. I- I've always been a collected runs dude, even back then. Like yeah. after Crisis happened, what were the comics yeah. that I- that I read from that era? The very year after, it was Dark Knight Returns, and the year after that was yeah. Batman Year One. So <laughs> it, it's like, I like my collections. I like my beginning, middle, and ends. Hmm. And I love superheroes, and I love dipping into that world. But it's it got so bad. And we, we've got the internet now. We've got all these yeah. wikis. I could go on the DC wiki and find out anything I wanted to learn. Imagine, walk... imagine walking
0: into, imagine walking up to a newsstand or into a comic shop in the early days of comic shops in the seventies or whatever, and just like deciding to start reading Green Lantern. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> without a point of reference, without anything to go on, without any, you know, like it must have felt so impenetrable I think at that point.
3: In. They're made to be like that. It's like children's TV and sitcoms. They are made that you can watch any episode and get uh, dropped yeah. in there. And, and to be honest, that's pretty much how all of us got into cartoons and a lot of comics. Like we didn't it get is. there issue one or episode one. We got there yeah. like whatever run in, at the mi- in the middle of it or like season four of whatever sitcom or something like that. And it's only yeah. in, in re- it's only in years as we got older as TV stations did all the reruns of all this stuff Mm. or like we got to read the collected versions of of these stories that we were able to gain a bit of context and see how it begun but a lot of this stuff was very much like you start in the middle um you miss episodes or issues and but you just make sense of it and but it
0: it must have felt very disorientating and, and 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 impenetrable in the fact that someone felt the need to write a letter about it <laughs> to Mark Wolfman when he was writing Green Lantern and to, to, you know, to, to, to be in, to just, just jump into and, and begin reading comics and, and yes, enjoy them. But you have this constant thing hanging over you, wouldn't you? Where it's like you, because it would constantly be referencing things that had happened previously that you would have no idea of. And it's like issue one, four, one for the rest of that or whatever. Mm. And it's just like, okay. Um, I mean, yes, that still happens today to a degree, but I think things are cleaner and tidier now, and it's easier to find that information now for people because obviously we have the internet. But
3: also, I think there's yeah. a thing of like a sort of changing sensibilities thing. So, speaking of myself personally, uh, when I was younger, uh, and this is a terrible example, but it does fit. Uh, when I was younger in the like 90s, uh, the first Spider-Man comic that I was reading month to month was the, uh, the, the clone saga.
1: <laughs>
3: and, but like for all the stuff I hate about the clone saga now and the messiness and the continuity shifts and all, all the crap at the time being like in school and stuff, it was cool because what it was, it was everyone knows even then it's like Spider-Man is Peter Parker and stuff like that. But in that story, it was complicating things where, like, Peter Parker wasn't the original... wasn't the original one, and he's actually a clone, and that like, this person was the original, blah, blah, And it's really stupid, and I hate it now, but back then, it was like, ah, oh, it was edgy. <laughs> because it was it was changing what you all believed, so it was like your know-it-all bit of trivia uh, where you could be like... So actually, he's not... Peter Parker's not the... and you could... Put that on any other type of comic thing at the time, where like weird changes and stuff were happening, and they'd retconned things into oblivion, like or or the degree when you found out like people who were people's like kids and stuff like that, or knowing which Green Lantern is who or which Flash is who, there was a kind of like cool thing in there, not in a gatekeepy comics thing way, but more in a case of like oh, everyone knows this thing, but, like, actually, this is true, type thing. Like, it complicated it in a way that was... Exciting as a as a teenager.
0: Es- esoteric knowledge. Yeah it's, yeah, it's like like a
2: like a, an ascended layer of knowledge because it's like, oh, you know, yeah. everyone knows Scott Summers and Jean Grey, but do you know Nathan Summers? And do you know that when gene yeah. Grey was her, was his mother, it's actually Madeline Pryor? And because of Mister Sinister, and you're like, all right, stop now, stop now. Yeah, and it's
3: like uh, <laughs> Psylocke uh, um, yeah. and Betsy Braddock swapping bodies, and th- like uh, <laughs> yeah, it's like like all that stuff was kind of like fun because yeah. these people would appear in other things like the games and the cartoons and stuff like that, and. And it was this extra layer of like complication, and there was a yeah. time where pointless complication and confusion and confoundment was cool because it was like different and edgy and not simple mm. and not neat. And um, so, I, I could see like people who would have been of a certain age would be would have would lap up all that, like editor's note 280 thing, This yeah. person, the, the niece of the Joker, well, and da-da-da. like me,
0: it's it's crack for me, yeah, <laughs> like, whereas yeah. like
3: when like when you like step back a bit and even forgetting the thing of like time or like i don't care as much but most of the things for me is that uh, neatness a lot of time can be a sign of good writing actually <laughs> mm. and uh, like tidiness isn't always simple and uh, com- complication and convolution isn't the same as complicated it's uh it's just often messy and the sign of having so much historical baggage to deal with that like man i don't care about the son of people like this is this is the thing that will sort of push me out of like (laughs) long-running superhero comics people's sons and daughters like, and and like people being the second versions of stuff like i was complete i think robin is where i was completely fine with it because <laughs> there was a timeline, and the first Robin became Nightwing, and that there was a thing of it. But then it just kept happening with everyone. Or oh, I kept discovering other people, yeah. and then then I was bumping up against things from like the like is it the Golden Age where you had Lads and stuff like that,
1: <laughs> or was that the
3: Silver? Or was that Silver Age? I can't remember. But like um, where you had like Wonder Lad or Wonder Lad and stuff, Aqualad and all, the, yeah, and all this yeah, stuff, the kids yeah, kids versions. Yeah, yeah. And I, I hated that crap so much. <laughs>
0: Well, I thought I, there was something I, I, something fun about it and something, you know, like, wholesome about that kind of stuff, That all those ones. I just – because I like – because sometimes I I, I I enjoy that stuff and I enjoy going back and re- – and I like seeing that stuff referenced in the modern comics. Hmm. I like seeing that stuff brought forward and brought up to date. I do enjoy seeing that. I like to see how they work with it because – As much as I enjoy seeing how things change and evolve in comics and and reading, watching things change and evolve and seeing events like Crisis and and studying events like Crisis like I've done for this and and seeing how things changed and evolved between pre-crisis and post-crisis DC Universe and things like that um, and how they managed to facilitate that through the 12-issue series that was Crisis of Infinite Earths, as much as I enjoy seeing that, I also enjoy seeing the legacy being held up. So I like seeing legacy characters being um, brought forward and modernized. I like seeing legacy characters being, having new life breathed into them. And I like seeing legacy characters being reinvented for the new readers and things like that. I really enjoy seeing that. Hmm. Um, And that's, that's the other side of it, I guess. and And that's, that's what keeps it fresh i guess is is when is you have to keep the new readers coming in so you have to keep reinventing things for new readers and you have to you have to remember that as much as you want to keep fans and as much as fans uh, you know like we as much as a lot of fans like to keep things the way they are there are people out there who you need to bring in on board to read these books otherwise otherwise the books don't survive Because what happens when you, when, when, if you keep making things for those fans, then one day those fans aren't going to be here anymore. And then who are you, you know, who's going to read your comics then? Who's going to read your books and your stories then? You have to keep things fresh, keep people coming on board and you have to keep things relevant to the next generation and you have to represent people Hmm. to make sure that people continue to read these comics and that we continue to keep these characters alive in pop culture and everything else. And that's the beautiful thing about it. Um, and yeah, like, like you were saying, like that continuity stuff it is crack for me, but, and, and I can understand why it, but, but I can understand like going right back to what I was saying before, how in, in the pre-crisis DC universe, how, how that would have been really disorientating for someone to pick up a comic and try to read it and try to, try to figure out, where they were in in the timeline and what was going on and everything else if they were interested it's it's the difficult it was a difficult thing to do because you couldn't just go on wikipedia and look it up like you can now you know (laughs) um and just the way that that crisis ties everything together and brings you right back to the dawn of the multiverse and explains all of that um and then explains where the anti-monitor came from where the monitor came from why the the multiverse is how it is and, and how it's all linked to the guardians and and everything else and just basically how it and and, and how they end up going back to the dawn of the multiverse to save the universe hmm. is, is pretty cool and this this big kind of like battle of wheels between the spirit and the anti-monitor and everything and these these gnarly portal pages with like all this kind of like flashy lights and Kirby dots and cosmic energy and gorgeous <laughs> and you can't you can't look i mean you can't look at the um the the anti-monitors uh, world and and not think of um thanos's floating death shrine <laughs> from the infinity gauntlet you can't Oh, yeah, Marv, you mentioned Madeline Pryor. When are you coming on to discuss um, Inferno, then?
2: (laughs) 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 Well, um, yeah, I suppose anything to do with uh, the legacy of my uh, my red-haired goddess in order for various (laughs) mind-bendingly confusing
0: forms. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, Leon, I think we're overdue a, a... Clone Saga episode, now aren't we? The amount of times you've brought (laughs) Uh, it up. There's some
3: time. We still got time. There's
0: no rush. There's no rush,
1: (laughs) man. Oh, yeah. But no,
0: it's it's just. Yeah, I'm. Like, moving into the history of the DC Universe as a guide for fans and an ultimate explanation of the repercussions of what happens during Crisis on Infinite Earth. It's just so clean and tidy how they do that. And how they put everything onto one timeline, like George Perez and and Marv Wolfman put everything onto one timeline and they just do it so beautifully. And these like awesome images that are just kind of like borderless splashed across the page as reference images for what's happening to go with, it's almost like a tapestry. Like you can imagine like the whole thing being out as one thing, pages side by side, like one big long tapestry and it, it it's just designed beautifully hmm. um and it's it's clear it's concise and it's very easy to understand for the onboarding of new fans it's like a a bible for the beginning of the dc era of the new era in dc comics it was perfect um and i don't think there was any um any way that they could have any other any way they could have done that in in any other way really like I don't I don't think I would have wanted it any other way. Like I mean, what were what were your thoughts on the um the history of the DC universe, Marv, when you were reading that at the end after reading Crisis and seeing how everything had, had been sort of like the their Mar- um the Marv Wolfman and George Perez sort of going, Okay, so this is what we're at. this is where we're at now.
2: Hmm. It's kind of like um you know, like thesis statement is sort of like, you know, this this is where it was all leading. This is this this was the point of this whole journey. Um but like like you said, the thing that struck me the most about it, because it is it's nice, it's comprehensive, you know. And um, half half of the characters that are involved in it are characters that I you know care about less, and so it didn't sort of uh, hit me as hard. Sort of looking at this and being like, oh, you know, that guy, you know, his, his backstory is a little bit more cleaned up and did But the artwork and the paneling and the structure of it is gorgeous. It 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 the way that um, those beautiful images are juxtaposed against the, the the words and the way that they're framed with them as well. It very much um, it looks like a credit sequence on like you can imagine it moving on a cartoon or a movie. It kind of and it it's sacrilegious to say because obviously the inspiration for that credit sequence is comic books, but it reminds me of um the intro to Spider-Man 2 and Spider-Man 3 where mm-hmm. you have like the um the drawn recap of what happened in the previous Spider-Man movie, uh, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man I should say for anyone that's confused. Um but the fact that it's you can follow the timeline of the imagery without it having to spell out every scene from the previous movie. It just gives you a flavor of it. And so that's what the artwork is doing. It's sort of like one or two pages worth of pictures where you're like, I can see this superhero group or this character alongside the words that give you a brief synopsis of, you know, their new place in the timeline, what happened, you know, at what period in the DC universe. It's very um, efficient as well as beautiful
0: yeah and it's kind of modelled after um i think the idea behind it was uh, if i remember correctly what there was what uh Marth wolfman was saying was that it was modelled after um like um picture reference books that he read as a kid hmm and it so, doesn't like, look you know, like that i can i can so. definitely
2: yeah. get that like I, i've had a, yeah. a bunch of dinosaur books that would have been laid out like this yeah yeah
0: definitely <laughs> yeah and you can see it and, and you can see why it works because that worked when I was a kid when I was reading about ancient Egypt. Hmm. And it works now when <laughs> I'm wanting to know where we're at with the DC universe. Hmm. And I need, you know, it, it's it's great for that. And I I, I truly cannot, like, I've been talking, like, we've been talking about this for like nearly an hour and an hour now, an hour and a half. But like, I truly cannot get across how... Big. This would have been for comics at the time, and how much of an impact this would have had, and just the scale of it, and and what it led to, and you wouldn't have had your your, your MCU Infinity War movie had this not happened back in eighty five.
1: Hmm.
0: None of that would have existed or happened. There would have been no like this was the event that launched a thousand large, wide scale, universal threat events in comics. Like this was it. <laughs> without this this without this being the architecture of the event going forward, there wouldn't have been any other events. and I think, uh, I think the book endures and the book is testament to the power of comic stories and how you know, like it, it, how you can you can carry this with, you know, how you can carry this with you as you age. Mm. Like the writer of this 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 the writer of this story, Marv Wolfman, having grown up with comics, has carried it with him as he's aged. He's carried that continuity with him. and now it's it was his turn to make his mark on it. and he's it's the it's testament to the power of comics and the power of those and the endurance of those characters as well for 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 them to be be able to live on and be as strong after something as devastating as this in that sense, um where so many of them were, were taken away and, and removed and things were changed and things like that. But the power of those characters to endure and to remain in the pop culture sense and to, you know, to continue and to be stronger for it as well is, is I think something incredible hmm. and just industry ride industry wide reach that I just cannot, cannot say enough times how powerful this is. And, you know for every death i think for 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 every epic death that was in in the pages of this book it's like you understand exactly why that had to happen you you get a full understanding of why that had to happen you get a full understanding of why they did what they did it's all fully laid out and 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 transparent in that way you know there's no decisions made in this story that i think are I would say, you know, or maybe I would have done that differently or anything like that because there isn't there isn't anything that I would have I would change about crisis. I think I, the in wide
3: structural ways uh I would agree to an extent, but I think there's just things you just wouldn't do now or you do with a bit more finesse.
0: Maybe, yeah, but so like I say a, that yeah. like
3: in reference to things like Killer Frost being brainwashed into loving firestorms. <laughs> well, it's yeah, so uncomfortable.
0: Yeah. yeah, that's that's weird and creepy. Or but... Like the
3: whole run. Yeah, um, or like the fact that like Harbinger is, or basically brainwashed and used as a tool, and it's like, the, it's like fully like lack of autonomy thing where it's like you could do something really interesting with that now. Uh, Rather than just be like, yeah, brainwashed you, super powerful person, Uh, like you're a puppet. You could do actually some something really good with that. Um, Yeah, something really uh, interesting that speaks to a lot of things.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's there's probably there there are. I mean, there are going to be things like that where it's just it's dated storytelling.
1: Quite
2: good. Not not even uh, not even just with and like this is like dissenting opinions. You know, just uh, to make sure that you know everything is said. But like not even just with stuff that is, you know, a bit uncomfortable reading it through sort of a 2020s lens, but, like, um, some of the pacing. Because, like, the thing is, and I say this uh, fully acknowledging the fact that um, I could never have done any better. Um, I doubt many people could have done any better with the subject matter and being the first time to do this sort of thing. With it being 12 issues, it is very, very good at what it does. But um, reading it this time round, I was like, man, like, how many times are they going to, like, sort of every two pages it's sort of like oh there's a guy in the shadows but we're not going to tell you yet oh the monitor's got a plan but we can't tell you yet we're plucking people out of time but we can't tell you and it's sort of like you're halfway through the story and you're like are you going to start revealing anything and then they do it all at the exact same time and it's sort of it goes from being sort of like a dearth of like story progression to just like info dump and then roller coaster. so it's there's no sort of bits and bobs being revealed as we go through the first half it's like the first half is just like character after character being like why is stuff happening i don't know why stuff happen why stuff's happening and then like harbinger harbinger is like i'm going to tell everyone in the universe exactly what's happening and then it's just like let's fight the anti-monitor seven times
3: (laughs) yeah like what like i think just like a general more modern sensibility would be to to dish that stuff out in a more even way.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's
0: it it just Yeah, I can I can see that. I can see that, but for me, I I don't it largely and and like Leon said, it, I'm looking at it from the monitor satellite. Mm. Like I don't think there's anything about it that I would specifically alter. Or change. I wouldn't change the death list, for example, or anything like that. I think those characters had to die, and they had to do. They had to die in specific, in that specific way, in that specific time, for things to work going forward. And I understand why things had to happen like that. And like, it's like people were unhappy about it, about certain deaths and things like that. And obviously, there was a lot of pushback from within the DC ranks as well when this was first. The idea was first batted about and pitched, and when it was being written and published, there was a lot of pushback about it. A lot of people weren't happy about the fact that all this continuity was just going to be um, not completely erased, but kind of like changed, archived, shall we say. <laughs> and then they were going to move on into something else.
2: It um, sounds a lot like a Star Wars fans with the Disney
0: buyout and everything becoming legends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. On the nose. But like it, it's that kind of. Um, it's that kind of thing. Where, you know, it, it, well, the, the right people supported it, and then we we ended up with this this epic, thing, and and it changed comics for the better. I feel going forward. Yeah, and gave it especially where DC is concerned and the DC universe is concerned. Like, if it was like that at fifty years, imagine imagine what the continuity would have been like uh, now, at like eighty years, eighty plus years. <laughs> you know, it's just. Yeah, I think it had to happen. They had to. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think to some degree, if that had happened. Yeah. to make it because did the,
0: the whole idea was was like way out and convoluted anyway mm. um, and I, I think to tidy up Superman and bring Superman back to being the last son of Krypton was a, a smart move, and I think they had to kill Supergirl. I agree with that and I, I agree with the decisions made, and I'm yeah ultimately i i feel like crisis had to happen and i feel like uh i feel like it stands up today and um i don't know if you guys agree with me in conclusion
2: i mean apart from the points that we brought up i would say in broad yeah in broad strokes it does definitely stand up again i just uh, as leon said with like modern storytelling sensibilities going in and reading it the the pacing to me was um a little a little rough But overall, um, a monumental achievement in terms of what it had to do with the DC landscape and uh, obviously the uh, continuing effects that we feel to this day.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, if you think about it, Marv, like in comics, modern modern storytelling and and like what, you know, modern age comics and, and, and things like that was only given space to happen because of this, especially yep. where DC is concerned.
1: Hmm.
0: So yeah, because it was kind of, it, because as as much of it is a celebration of what came before, because it is a celebration hmm. as well as being an out with the old in with the new. It, it has that, it, it it's what gave space for that modern storytelling to grow. Hmm. Where comics are concerned. And, yeah, there are things about it that are dated and things that you just wouldn't do now, things that come across as creepy a little bit and things like that, like we've mentioned. But it's just, I, yeah, crisis on infinite earths. <laughs> <laughs> and I think uh, I think we have sufficiently discussed it. What do you think? Anything else to add?
3: Uh, anti-monitors known it design sucks.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I quite like the anti-monitor design. It looks like something... Cause I, I used to draw things like that when I was a kid. Hmm. Like these like gnarly mech suited like energy beings and things like that. Maybe maybe I had read parts of Crisis when I was a young, young child without realizing. Hmm. I don't know. But like I used to draw that stuff and I, I used to come up with these characters and things. And and I I, I quite like the monitors design towards the end of the book where he is basically just the embodiment of death (laughs) um and when he comes up against the specter and things and it's like the battle of wills between him and the specter um at the the dawn of time which is pretty (laughs) cool yeah um but yeah i mean if you want a a blow by blow of what happens if you want a summary of what happens you can you can find that anywhere my my advice to you is read it and just let it wash over you um because it's it's in it's it's really really well done and really well put together and it is for for what it was and for what it represents going forward in comics history it's an incredible piece Uh, But yeah, that has been Crisis on Infinite Earths and uh, we have been Ace Comicals. You can find us at www.acecomicals.com, which is the hub for everything we do. Uh, You can find us on Twitter at Ace Comicals. Um, Please get in touch with your opinions. Um, If you have opinions about Crisis on Infinite Earths, we want to hear them. Uh, If you've read Crisis, uh, if you have any questions, I might be able to answer them if you ask us. Uh, But don't at me about Batgirl. (laughs) <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter at Batto B-A-T-T-O-U again don't at me about Batgirl um, the best Batgirl design will not have any argument on that <laughs> uh, Marv where can we find you?
2: Um, dreaming about Jean Grey uh, on Twitter at Marvin Lafayette
0: and uh, Leon where can we find you?
3: you can find me on Twitter at Leon Everett and man, uh, Domino Mask Hive is going to come for you Greg
0: <laughs> <laughs> Don't come at me with that domino mask shit man. <laughs> Can't be dealing with it. The domino mask mafia the they're, they're uh, I'm going to wake up tomorrow with um Damian's head in my bed or something like
3: No it'll be Ace comical over party trending. Yeah. <laughs> fan cams.
0: Yeah. I'm going to be uh The Domino Mass Mafia are going to come for me. But, yeah, no. um, Yeah, that has been Ace Comicals. That's Ace Comicals over and out.